Begin by just echoing uh, what uh, Adam talked about in the beginning, and uh, where the band has led us tonight, and just the the momentum that God seems to be building between Sundays and Wednesdays, and then this weekend with the marriage and parenting conference, uh, that God is really doing some. Uh, he's doing something with us. Uh, it seems to be one of those uh, just one of those really unique seasons where. Uh, there's just something, there's something different that's going on, and I don't know what it is exactly. Uh, I just know that he keeps putting some things in front of us that seem to be uh, refining us, exposing some things, uh, preparing us for something that's ahead, uh, maybe laying some groundwork. And I think that this weekend was, uh, was, was another step forward for us in that. And tonight fits into that, and Wednesday night's community group fits into that. Um, we have a women's gathering coming up on the 12th, and you can, you can reach out to Meg if you, wanna, uh, if you have questions about that or want to help with that in some way. We'll have a men's gathering at some point. All of this pushing us into our normal like, school time rhythms of community groups and things. Uh, so I'm grateful that you're here. I'm excited about tonight to see how it all fits together. Um, so we're going to be in Mark 3. We'll bring the lights up for you. And as we turn to Mark 3... Let me just take just a second to uh, honor someone among us. Uh, Matt Iglesias is uh, getting married, and uh, as yeah, and the down, the only downside of that for us is the fact that he's also moving away. And so Matt has served as an as an elder. He served as a community group leader. He served. A, he got the breakfast on the levee going. Like he was a part of that nucleus there. Uh, and um, a lot of us in this room are better because of your generosity with who you are. And we're grateful, and we will miss you. Um, so, that being said, uh, good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to miss out on all this stuff God's doing. Just kidding. We're going to keep every Iglesias we can, and uh, that will always be the policy. In Mark 3... Um, we get to a point in the story of Jesus. You know, we've been going through Mark a little bit at a time, and uh, kind of just looking, maybe with uh, hopefully with some fresh eyes at the life of our Savior. And um, every one of us in this room who is a Christian, if you were to if you were to track your spiritual, if there was like a spiritual ancestry dot com that you could go to and like track your heritage. Uh, every one of us would come back to this moment, like we are, like we are here tonight in Christ uh, because of this group that we're about to talk about. Um, so this moment, like this, this blip on the radar, is not just a passing story. This was a massive moment in the history of the church, a massive moment in your life and in my life, um, and it just. It's, it's huge. All right, let's, let's read it together. Look, starting verse 13 of Mark chapter 3. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, 
so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the the brother of James, to whom he gave the the name, uh, I can't really pronounce it, something, but it means sons of thunder. I know that because it says it. I worked all week on it and I just can't really get it. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, quote, he is out of his mind. Uh, Those last two verses about his family thinking that he was, you know, out of his mind. We're going to come to that later. Uh, like, well, later. Uh, so if you have family members who are against you and your faith, be encouraged that Jesus knows what it's like because his was, was against him. They thought he was crazy also. Um, and so that's not lost on your Savior. And we will talk about that in several weeks. But for today, we're just going to focus really on the calling of the disciples. Most particularly... Verses 14 and 15. Let me read those again. It says, He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. There are two desires there. Like Jesus has two desires that are expressed in that verse. One desire is to be with them. Second desire is to send them out. Now, why is that significant? Well, let me, t- let me just run through a couple of reasons why these guys were very unlikely candidates for this kind of honor. To be in the inner circle, the, like, the disciples, the like, 24-7 relationship disciples of the Messiah, the, the long-awaited Redeemer of Israel. This was not really the group that you would uh, in- envision. Jesus goes up on a mountain and... Uh, he invites all these, these followers to come with him. And they climb up this mountain. And I'm fortunate enough to have been to the top of that mountain. And we went the hard way. We went the old way. We went the way of uh, possible death a couple of times. I was really worried that someone was going to fall off this mountain. And his name was probably Josh Causey. And uh, that didn't happen. But we didn't really know what we were doing. We were uh, in this tour of Israel. And it was a hiking tour. And so it was a lot of work. And so we're climbing... Climbing this thing and following this, like the ancient path, you know. But it was the, we got to the top and they said, this, this, mount, this mountain is called Arbel. And this is where rabbis, uh, this is where they came in the Galilee region. They came up on top of this mountain, which overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And they came there to pray for their disciples. And so it doesn't say that that's the name of the mountain, but history and tradition would point toward this was probably where Jesus went to pray for his disciples, where he probably invited this group to follow him. And so all these people are climbing up this mountain. Um, And then from among those, he pulls 12 out. These these 12 were not, this is not who you would want necessarily. And here's a couple reasons why. One uh, you got all these different backgrounds that are represented. Now, we don't know, there's some guys, we don't know anything about them. 
It doesn't really talk in the New Testament about them. But here's a couple of things we do know. So you had, a, you had different backgrounds. Uh, some of them were fishermen. You had two sets of brothers. And so that usually creates like all kind of either awesome chemistry or like just terrible, you know, we hate each other kind of chemistry. Um, you had the mixture of fa- family members and strangers. You had uh, all the unknown things that we, don't, that we just really can't piece together. Um, but there were certainly different backgrounds. There were different personalities. I mean, Jesus nicknamed these two dudes the Sons of Thunder. Like, you want to mean, like, tell me those guys weren't going to instigate something? Uh, and he, he calls them that, because, that we think, because of an incident where someone was not being hospitable to Jesus. And so they were like, hey, can we call down fire from heaven to consume them? Sons of Thunder. That's how you get that nickname right there. Uh, so certainly different personalities. Uh, the Sons of Thunder would have been you know, probably unique in that bunch. Um, probably different interests. I'm just assuming that. I mean, the name Philip means like one who loves horses. And so he, he probably came from a family where they were dealt with horses in some capacity. Horses and fishermen, we tend to think that cowboys and fishermen are the same, but they're really very different. And so that was probably a d- different thing. You had political views. This was probably a big clash. So it says that there was Simon the Zealot. And then you had Matthew, who we know was a tax collector. So tax collectors, were, uh, they, were, they were considered sellouts, basically, uh, because they went to work for the Roman government. Zealots were trying to overthrow, in whatever, whatever it took, trying to overthrow Rome. And so you have someone who like, went to work for Rome, someone who would, wants to do everything they can to overthrow Rome, and so they would have been at great odds, a great deal of tension within the group. Um, you have uh, all these different things, and none of them were like Jesus. You know? Jesus didn't go, and he like, let me get a bunch of carpenters together, you know? a bunch of people from Nazareth, a bunch of people with, you know... Uh, Different, like you're kind of different, but they really are like a lot like me because I have to duplicate me. So they need to be like me in order to duplicate me. Jesus got this random group together. So they had different, different backgrounds and personalities and all that kind of stuff. Plus, the fact that they were working normal jobs means that they were considered not good enough to follow after a rabbi in the first place. Now, I've talked about this for, for a number of years, but what would normally happen is you... You go through all the Jewish customs when you're a boy. After your bar mitzvah, your goal is to continue studying the scriptures under the tutelage of a rabbi. You would approach the rabbi. The rabbi would lead you through a series of questions to determine if you are good enough to follow him. Like, if you have what it takes to become like him. And so sometimes it wouldn't be like, well, this, this guy's like dumb as a rock. I'm not having him follow me. Sometimes it could be that, but it could also be... You're looking at this kid and you're like, I just don't think that you becoming me is really like, going to happen. So you should go find another rabbi because you, you'll, never, you'll never be like me. And so that would happen. And if they were rejected by a rabbi, they would either go into the family business or go find a new rabbi to try to follow. And if you were rejected enough times, eventually you just wound up in the family business. Like fish, being a fisherman or maybe being a tax collector or maybe something to do with horses, maybe. Uh, but none of them were currently following a rabbi. They were young men. They were teenagers. But they had, because they were in the family business, the default is the assumption that they had already been told they didn't have what it takes. Um, So, different backgrounds, different interests, different personalities. None of them like Jesus. None of them really like each other. 
uh, all rejected by a rabbi, and one of them is named Judas Iscariot, right? Like, this would not be the group. I mean, obviously, we know why the name Judas Iscariot is like, you know, whatever. But, and they maybe wouldn't have known that, but Jesus would have known that. And so, why in the world would this group be, like, who you want? I mean, we know how to put together a dream team. We've all seen Ocean's Eleven, right? You figure out what the goal is. You start a cool music montage, and you go, and you find the different guys, and you assemble the team, but would you really know how to make a dream team? There's only one thing that comes to mind. I think we all know what that is. <laughs> this, this is the dream team. Like, this is who you want with you. Um, this is, in case you aren't, don't know who these people are, let me just rattle off some names you may have heard before. Clyde Drexler, Charles Barkley, David Robinson, Chris Mullen, Patrick Ewing, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, John Stockton, yeah. Uh, Scotty Pippen and the GOAT, Michael Jordan, all on one team. And then you have Christian Leitner, who's basically the Judas figure in the story, obviously. Uh, it should have been Shaquille O'Neal. Can you imagine if Shaq had been on that team? Can you imagine if Isaiah Thomas instead of John Stockton? I mean, but still, if you're going to build a dream team, if you're the Messiah, like you're the long-awaited Redeemer of Israel who has come to set all things right, and you're going to pick 12, there's 12 in that photo, coincidentally, I don't think so, if you're going to pick 12, <laughs> one for each tribe of Israel, if you're going to do this thing in front of this crowd that sends a message that's like, hey, um, I'm not just picking 12 because these are the best 12. I'm picking 12 because 12 is a number that God uses, one per tribe. I'm doing something huge. Let me show you. This group is not who you want. That group is who you want. When they picked this dream team, you know, it, the rules changed between the 88 Olympics and the 92 Olympics. 88 Olympics, it was all college students. And they like, came in, I think they like bronze medaled or something like that. When they changed the rules and they put these guys out there, their average, I think their average win per game was like, they won by like 40-something points per game. Like no one could touch them. Instant gold medal. They should have just given it to them anyway. You know? That's a dream team. That's who you want. You don't want these guys who have all this stuff that's different about them, all this failure, all these different personalities. Why in the world would you assemble a team that looks so different than you if you are trying to duplicate you. It doesn't make any sense. Look at verse 14. Say, say goodbye to the people. You probably hadn't thought about them in a long time, but now I got you. Look at verse 14. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Why in the world would Jesus want this? Why would he desire to be with them and to send them out? Why would he desire like a 24-7 relationship? Like, have you ever been on a trip with people where it was like a couple of days and you like we were literally like never out of each other's presence. Like it gets difficult. And here's Jesus bringing like these 12 people who don't know anything. 
And he's like, okay, I want you to be with me. I want you to follow me around. I want you to live life with me 24-7. I want you to leave your families. I want you to leave your jobs. I want you to leave all this kind of stuff. And I want you to be with me. Why would he do that? Why would he, why would he want to send them out to do, it says to do two things, to preach and to cast out demons. So, so he wants to send them out, these guys, not the dream team, the, these guys, to send them out to bring the same kingdom message that he's been preaching. Why would he trust them with that? That's a pretty important message. Why would, he, why would he want them to go and take his authority into places and cast demons out? Like what? Couldn't that be dangerous? What if they abused it? What if they became full of themselves? What if all the, you know, why in the world would, they, would he do that? In other words, why does Jesus want to share his life with them? Like, he, he wants to share his life in, in two senses of the word. One, like, he wants, to, he wants to know them and to be known by them. That's a part of why rabbis would have their disciples follow them around all the time. It wasn't just to model things. It was, like, to get to know each other. He's like, I don't want you to be a stranger to me. I want to know you. Within the twelve, Jesus was closer with three of them than the other nine. And within the three, he was closer with one than the other three. Like, Jesus... Jesus had relationships. Jesus had friends. Jesus, who is part, you know, he comes from this father-son, spirit, trinity relationship. He is built for relationships with people. So he wants to share his life in that sense. And he also wants to share his life in, in terms of being generous with all that he is and all that he has. I'm saying like, well, I'm not going to keep my authority to myself. I'm going to share my authority with you so that you too can cast out demons. So that you too can, can speak of the kingdom. So that you too can do those things. So he's sharing his life relationally and he's sharing his life in these like deeper ways that, that only he can do. And why would he do this? Because well, it seems really counterintuitive. Especially when you're the Messiah's band of disciples. And here's why. Um, Jesus operates on an entirely different you know, set of standards and rules and whatever than we do. And the Bible tells us when, when Israel is, when they're looking for a king, there's this amazing verse, and it just says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And Jesus just continues that ministry of saying, like, Yeah, see, you guys look at these, you, you look at these 12, and you see uh, all their differences. And you see their different backgrounds, and their different personalities, and the different. Things and the trouble that the sons of thunder might cause, and how Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector are like opposed politically to each other and ideologically, and that could cause issues. And you know, you have this guy, you know, Bartholomew. We don't know anything about him. Like, what if he was like quiet as a church mouse, or what if he was the crazy, like, or the crazy one of the bunch, you know, stirring things up? We don't know anything about this. And Jesus kind of like, yeah, see, none of those things really matter. What you think a dream team? Like a messianic dream team would look like is not what I really, I'm not into that stuff. Jesus operates differently. The things we get hung up on, whether it's about other people or whether it's about ourselves, Jesus is like, yeah, that's not, that's not the list that I make. Because I'm able to see through all that stuff. I'm able to see like the real you. He has this kingdom lens, this God lens, the only lens that matters. You know, the only one that is holy and perfect. And that tells us something about him. 
And it tells us something about this group of 12. And it tells us something about us as well. Jesus desires to be with them and to send them out. Do you think that maybe for us as modern day disciples, do you think that these things can possibly, possibly speak into our lives in this moment? Could it be that Jesus also desires to be with us? Could it be that Jesus also desires to send us out? Over the course of Friday night and Saturday uh, here at the Marriage and Parenting Conference, I know that that some of you were there, I know some of you were not there. I sat back in that sound booth and I, uh, I, I, you know, I was I was listening and I was processing things, but I was also amazed at these two themes that jumped out at me from what Frank and Annette were presenting and what I had already typed up and sent out uh, already and how alike they were. So Frank and Annette are talking and they're like all this, like all of their following Jesus, like Friday night was about, like Friday night was essentially saying, before we talk about parenting, you have to talk about marriage. And before you talk about marriage, you have to talk about like, like being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Like your first marriage is to him. If you are married to, like to your spouse, then that is your second marriage. And then your kids will come, you know, come down there as well. And so if you're married, and, or if you're a single parent, or if you're an unmarried person, there's a box in there that you can check. You can check following Jesus. If you're married, you can check that box too. If you're a parent, you can check that box as well. But there is a hierarchy that comes. And so we structured the weekend in that order on purpose because as much as we want to jump right to practical parenting tips, it really has to begin, it has to begin in that vertical, like you and Jesus relationship. And if you were here, you, you probably caught, picked up on this pattern that every question that we had for them, everything we asked them to talk about, all of it, it always came back to you like Jesus as your first love. And from there, you can be a spouse. From there, you can be a parent. From there, you can be a friend. From there, you can be a community group leader or a community group member. From there, you can be a member of the church. From there, you can be a Christian in the workplace. But it all flows from there. And so they kept telling all these stories. And, but all their stories were, like, they never, like, stopped that and jumped over to here. It was always, like, as an outworking of that, as an overflow of that. And I was just sitting there, I was thinking, man, they sure are talking about God loving us a lot. Like his desire to love us, to be with us, his pursuit of us. They sure are talking about that a lot. And they sure are talking about how sent they are. Whether it's sent to their neighbors, sent to, like like they, they told some stories about, like, you know, of course we talked about kids and sports. And I think we really wanted to be like, can you just give us a rule, you know? Like, can you tell us, like, what were your policies? What do you think the policy should be? And, you know, like, like how, how, much, how much should our kids be playing sports? It seems like such a big thing in our culture. And, but they wouldn't answer that, really. You know, they kind of talked about whatever. They're like, yeah, but see, for us, it was like, if we're, like, we played ball, like, certain times a year. But then the other times, you know, we, we didn't because of these reasons. But when we were playing ball, like, our kids were playing ball, but our kids were also praying for their teammates, and we also were getting to know all the other parents. And Frank was like, as a coach, I'm affirming all these kids and I'm getting to know all their parents. And I'm looking for a way to be a missionary who is also coaching baseball. 
for Annette to be like, like she's like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the grandma sitting there underneath the umbrella cheering my kids on, but I'm also sharing Jesus with the people sitting around me, you know? And what's funny is like when you start to talk to them and you're just like, man, that's so amazing, that's so amazing. They kind of look at you like, no, that's what we're called, that's what we're all called to. They're not doing anything that's exceptional. They're being who Jesus has called us to be, who who he has made us to be, because we also are sent out. So for them, uh, to kind of summarize a lot of, of what they were saying, they're like, yeah, just whatever environment he was sending us into, we know that we are going to bring the gospel to people. We're going to people who don't know Jesus, because, and they need to, and so we, we're sent there to tell them. And if they don't want him, they don't want him. But if they want him, we want to help them meet him. And they have some stories that would just stun you, that I've been able to hear over the years from being friends with them. And their kids just grew up with like having like people over for dinner all the time. And the, the discussion was about the Lord. Like they were intentional about finding ways to do that. Like there's just a seriousness that they approach their life with, believing deeply that they are disciples who have been sent out, just like these guys. That Jesus has entrusted them with the most beautiful and important thing. Anyone can ever hear. We started off with, with uh, in the, the marriage session, and we kind of uh, like just scrolled through some some people's like wedding photos for, that they had sent in, you know, of like their wedding days and stuff. And and you know, some of them were some of them are new, some of them have been around for a while, that kind of stuff. We kind of laughing, and uh, you know, I, I just played. There's a Ray LaMontagne song called "You Know You're the Best Thing That's Ever Happened to Me," and I was playing. It's kind of fun, and everyone's laughing and stuff. I started thinking, that's the wrong message. Your spouse is not the best thing that's ever happened to you. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Is that a Jesus juke? No, it's not a Jesus juke. It's the truth. It's perfectly fine to look at your spouse and say, you are the second best thing that has ever happened to me. That would be awesome. Matt, you're about to get married. Tony is not the best thing that's ever happened to you. Make sure she knows that. And not just because she's taking you away. I'm just saying. Jesus is the best thing. When Frank and Annette talk about their marriage, it's, it's coming from this deep belief that Jesus, their first marriage being great, is how their marriage can be great. And when their marriage is not great, the point of origin is because there's something wrong with them and the Lord. And so seeing that as this fountain, but seeing how they, like, how they really believe that they are sent to people. Annette was diagnosed with, with cancer a couple years ago, and uh, they, they shared the story with us. And, and so that she went to a treatment center in another part of the country, and he took a couple weeks off of work, and they went together. And uh, she's like, you know, so there we are in the, in the like, chemo room, you know. And Frank is just, like, working the room, talking to people, sharing Christ with them, praying with them, whatever it takes, just ministering to everyone else, you know. And then it was Annette like, what was he doing? Why is he taking care of me? You know, no, she thought it was awesome. She's like, that's exactly what he should be doing. I'll be fine. Like, it was just this weirdest thing where you're like, are you guys real people? You know, like, <laughs> does this really happen? But the whole time, it just, I, if you were here, I think you could just sense the spirit being like, this is, this is just right, you know? They're not, like, they're not dream team people. They're like the, the 12 they told their whole story. 
She, she comes from a background that was difficult and rough. He comes from a background of being like a super nice, clean cut, like very polite guy. And both of them are like, yeah, but we were, we were both sinners in need of, of the redemption of Jesus. It isn't about our behavior. It isn't about all these kinds of things. We, that's, that's who he has made us. And that gratitude, gratitude is unbelievable. And a part of that gratitude surfaces in the, the idea that they, uh, they want everyone to know this beautiful Savior. And so here's Jesus with this ragtag group who probably themselves were a little confused as to why they were called out of the big group and to be in, you know, they were like, are you serious? You know? Jesus is like, yes, you, I'm going to send you. I don't care about anything that you would throw out there as a reason that you would be disqualified. I want you. I'm going to trust you. I want to share my life with you. I want to know you. I want to share my power and my authority with you. I want to equip and send you there to talk about me. And then I'm going to receive you back and we'll talk about how it went. And I'll make you better the next time you go. I want you to go cast out demons. You don't think you can cast out demons? You can cast out demons. Watch. That there is this sending power. And so for us, for you and me, it seems like there's a theme that God is developing among us. You go back a couple years of 30 days of prayer, we were like, hey, we're, we're going to spend a whole month just asking God uh, to show us what's next, to give us a building, to speak into where we are, Whatever it is, we're just, we're just going to ask and we're going to seek and we're going to knock. And one of the things that came out of that, or a couple of, a couple of things that we kind of discerned afterwards as a group, um, one of them was, was a, need to, a need to be as outward as we are inward. That's my wording. As outward as we are inward. That we love each other and we've been striving to try to love each other well and refine that and get good at that uh, at caring for one another within the church. A lot of times the church, church members are terrible to each other. And so we want to be able to look at what the Bible says uh, about how we're to treat each other and how we're to walk together. And we want to do that. It seems like God was like, hey, that's, that's great. Keep that going and add to that a real deep belief that you're also sent out there. That if you live in Central, you're sent to those people. Same in Prairieville. Same in Zachary, same in Baton Rouge, whatever. You're sent to those people. You're also sent to the people that you work with and live around. All those, that, all those ideas about that. And so we've been trying to figure out how to be more aggressive in that. And then here comes this, uh, like this, the kind of new, not new kind of thing, but here we are trying to plant a church in Zachary. We're trying to pursue a place to meet in the mornings of our own. And we're trying to hire a third person all of those, I've said it for weeks and weeks and weeks, all of those are done with, with us in mind to a degree, but a lot of it is like we, it's got to be about them in mind as well. It's about those who are far away, not just those who are in this room. And then summer community groups come along, and God's like, you've you got to get in there and talk, 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 talk about the mission and the vision and what we're doing. And then the Laureas come in here, and all they talk about the whole weekend is being loved by God, and being sent to love those that you're around. There is a pattern. You know, there is a theme. And I think that we can see it in these 
two little verses. I'm going to read 14 and 15 again. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. What does apostle mean? Ones who are sent. So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Those are the, those are the rhythms of the church. Togetherness and being sent. Every Sunday we do that, basically. We, we're, all over, we're fanned out all over the place. We come together in this place. We're with each other. We're with him in a, in a really special way. We're empowered, and then we're sent back out there. We see it here. We practice it together. Jesus believes in us. Jesus believes in you. Jesus believes in the role that you play. He is so confident in his activity in your life that he's going to send you to people who don't know him with his message, with his words, and with his actions. Are we all sent to preach and cast out demons? Okay, well, no, but let's, let's broaden that a little bit. Are we all sent with his words and with his actions and his authority? Yes. Yes. He trusts us. More than he trusts us, he trusts his presence within us. So internally, externally, we're good to go. We just got to go. We are the dream team. Maybe not the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird dream team, but we are Jesus' version of that. We are what our city needs. And not just us, okay? All the churches together. Like Jesus has assembled his teams. Not only are we sent, though, he also wants to be with us. That's what's awesome, is that we don't, we don't just get our marching orders from the general, and we just go do things and whatever. No. Like, it's, it's a family like undertaking. So not only are we sent, we're also, like, he's with us. He desires to be with us. And whatever it is that comes to mind that makes you want to push back from that, Jesus is really quick to knock that out of the way. Because you could throw your own background, your, your own track record, your list of mistakes, your personality, your whatever. You can find all these reasons that you would object to someone saying that he loves you and wants to be with you and believes in you. And you're like, yeah, but this, but this, but this, but this. And he's like, yeah, you can, like, you just operate very differently as humans. Jesus looks at that stuff and he says, I don't really care about that. I mean, I care about the pain that comes. Like, I want to be with you in those painful things on that list. And I want to free you from the insecurities that are on that list. I want to heal the things that have been hurtful. I want to grow you. I want to shape you. I want to sanctify. I want to do all those kinds of things. But at no moment do we throw something out there. And he's like, ooh, that's a pretty good point. He never regrets it. And so for us, as modern day disciples... Can we grab onto these two things in maybe, maybe a way that's deeper and maybe more tangible than, than we had before? Can, can you say yes to that? Can you say yes to the fact that he wants to be with you and he wants to send you? That he wants to share his life with you, to know and be known, and to share and be generous with all that he has with you? And that he trusts you to go to people who don't know him and represent him well, to take his words and his actions? 
That there's a relationship that also like buys us into the things that are important to him. It's fusing together those two things. The being with him and the being sent by him. They're really just one thing. And so for Frank and Annette to come in and to share their lives with us, it would be, it would be very incorrect for us to ever exalt someone who's just doing what the Bible says to do. They would not want that. I told, them, I told the group before the last session, I was like, look, so the, and, and I couldn't really say as much of this with them sitting there, but like, they're a super impressive couple. It's very easy to look at them and say, like, well, they got it all together, you know. But they just, they've just done the work. Everything from her background, everything from his background, all the mistakes. I mean, she took off for two weeks. He was left with the kids, like, you know. They've been through cancer diagnosis together. They've, they've, they've raised kids. They've done all this stuff. He started a business. Uh, you know, he's not on church staff or anything like that. They're just, they're like absolutely normal people who have just said yes to Jesus over and over again. And so they wouldn't want us to exalt them. The Holy Spirit wouldn't want us to exalt them and say, well, they're more USA Dream Team level, and I'm more like the ragtag group of disciples here on the mountaintop. He says, no, you're all the ragtag group on the mountaintop. The only thing that matters is I looked at you and pointed at you and said, you, come on. And that's what he's doing, and you play a part in it. So if there's a part of you that pushes back to being sent or a part of you that pushes back to being loved, please hear him screaming louder than those lies. and Say, no, I want you. I desire you. I love you. I trust you. When you just say yes to that voice, will that voice be louder than all the other ones? I hope that you will. I hope that I will. And we can sense what God is doing among us. That it not just be for us, that it's also for everyone. Let's stand together. People tease me because I always get to this point and say, I don't know where this lands with you, but it's the truth. That's like, that's like a true statement. I really have no idea. Um, but my saying that is really more about in inviting you to steward this. Of saying, okay, I've tried to be obedient tonight. The band's tried to be obedient tonight. Um, the lead teachers have tried to be obedient. Everyone's tried to be obedient. We tried to, to give you something to respond to. Um, and now it's like it's yours to respond to. To take it or to leave it. Um, I hope that you will take it. Um, let me pray for us. Um, we're going to respond uh, in a couple different ways. There's a giving station over here. If tithing is a part of your response, you can kneel and pray. Adam is our elder tonight. He'll be serving communion. They like rip it off yourself and dip it in the juice kind of communion. Um, and everyone, is, can be a, everyone can be a part of that. It's not a, you, know, you don't have to be a member of the church. Uh, you just have to be willing to say yes to Jesus' grace that he's offering to you. Um, we'll respond in a couple different ways before, before we dismiss in a minute. Right, let me just pray for us. And then we get to steward uh, these moments. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful to you for um, all your forms of goodness and grace. And uh, 
I'm sure that none of us, none of us would, would place ourselves on the, uh, on the, the Jesus dream team uh, level. And I'm thankful that uh, there just really is nothing that we can throw out there that you would agree with if we're objecting to that. That it isn't about the dream team. It isn't about us being good or, or bad or it's not about our behaviors and stuff. Those, are, those things are not primary. What's primary is the fact that you looked at us and you said, I will die so that you can live. And in your death and in your resurrection, we also died and were raised to new life. That we're just simply alive now because of you. And so whether it's about being sent or being loved or any of the other things that we could be responding to tonight, would you help us and our desires to say yes to you? These next few minutes are spent singing or praying or, or giving or writing on a prayer request or approaching your, uh, your communion table. Whatever that is, uh, I pray, God, that you would help us to do so out of faith and out of love for you and a desire to believe what you tell us is true about who we are and what you're doing. We love you and we thank you closing moments are yours the table is open you can respond as you feel that